The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to this exciting edition of the Video Insiders. How are you doing, Dror? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Hey, I am doing awesome. It is uh, 110 degrees in Phoenix, so I'm hot. Yeah, it's uh, similar (laughs) uh, here in uh, Tel Aviv. Um, Summer has started. (laughs) What can you say? Before we jump in, I want to thank everyone who has joined the LinkedIn group and then make those of you who are not aware uh, that we have a LinkedIn group for the podcast. And, you know, just to uh, also let everyone know what the purpose of the group is. So, of course, we'll be uh, posting new episodes as they come up and, you know, we'll post some other interesting things. But this really is a group for you. It's for our listeners. And and we encourage you post things that are of interest. If you, uh, you know, uh, have any uh, best practices that you've stumbled upon that you'd like to share, uh, if you're doing something interesting, if you publish some interesting research, um, if you just come across some industry news that uh, is relevant in any way to any part of the video ecosystem, you are welcome and free. And we encourage you to use the group as a way to communicate. It's a it's a bit of a virtual water cooler. Uh, so that's really the purpose. So uh, if you have not joined, just go to LinkedIn and type in The Video Insiders. And I think uh, it'll be pretty easy to find it. Yeah, and, uh, until just, we get some people uh, trying to imitate us and uh, set up uh, LinkedIn groups with similar names. But yeah, right that's now, right. <laughs> <laughs> the Video Insiders is still us. That's right. It's still us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I- anyway, we definitely encourage you to join. Well, without uh, further ado, as they say, uh, let's jump in. What do you say, Dror? Yeah, I think it's a good idea because we have uh, two awesome guests with us today. We are talking to Jason Friedlander and Darren Lepke from Verizon Media. A lot of our audience probably knows you guys as VDMS or Verizon Digital Media Services. You've had some changes uh, of late, right? Yeah, we absolutely have. And uh, I congratulate you for getting it right, right off the bat. Uh, I'm Jason Freelander, uh, Senior Director of Product Marketing here at Verizon Media for our media platform. Um, I've been at Verizon for about six and a half years now since the acquisition of streaming company I was part of called Uplink. And uh, I've been all over the map here from solutions engineering to product evangelist to now um product marketing. And I, I love it. Doing great things here. And I get to work with Darren every day, which makes it even that much better. Oh, that thanks, Jason. That's nice of you to say that. That was uh, my softball. This, <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Nice. Thank you. Uh, hi, this is Darren Lepke. I'm the head of video product management here at uh, Verizon Media, uh, focusing on the media platform as well. Uh, also have been uh, with VDMS and Verizon uh, for a long time. Um, excited to see the growth of the platform uh, you know, we're now providing OTT services uh, for linear channels, live events, and on-demand content for some of the world's largest broadcasters. So uh, to be uh, heading up that video 
uh, product to continue to innovate, uh, to continue to scale for the uh, for the demands of the marketplace as viewership continues to grow, and all while uh, you know reducing the latency of, of streams is is a great challenge, but uh, something we're we're tackling every day. Yeah, it's awesome. There is no doubt that live streaming, especially for sports, is hot, 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 and. I think uh, that's a good place for us to start. Maybe you can share with the listeners, uh, you know, what you're what you're doing, um, the services that you offer, and uh, you know, if we can even dig a little bit deeper and talk about some recent events. And uh, yeah, let's just start there. Let's talk about you know live streaming for sports. Sure. So uh, actually, let's let's take a step back and just kind of set the table a little bit, right? So if we if we look at the ongoing battle for consumer attention today, I think you you see some some fights uh, being fought on a couple of different fronts. Um, recent stats are showing like somewhere between five and six hours a day for the average consumer is being spent consuming video, uh, and, and one of that you know the, one of the primary battlefronts for that is the transition from traditional television to on-demand streaming or live streaming or linear streaming um, over the internet. And, uh, you know, certainly there's a lot of investment, a lot of players in that marketplace. Obviously, uh, Netflix and Amazon are are the two kind of behemoths duking it out, but soon we'll have entrance from Disney and Apple as well. So, um, you know, those services tend to be primarily subscription-based. They tend to be uh, a little more long form oriented, uh, a little more premium content oriented. So, um, you know, with those, you know, big players stepping in to capture a lot of that attention, uh, you start to see other service providers differentiate their content uh, to, to continue to pull in viewers, right? So live events, live sports, especially continues to be a major way that uh, OTT service providers and I would say content owners in general, um, you know, are using to lure customers over to their services and away from, you know, the latest uh, movies and TV episodes. So super important there uh, to, to have a live event solution to uh, feature things that drive tune in at a certain time uh, during the day. Certainly that's uh, appealing to advertisers. So, so that battle among OTT providers to distinguish their content to attract viewers is, is one major battle. At the same time, I think if you talk to anybody at, at Netflix or Amazon or Disney or any of those other providers, they'll say, you know, we're fighting a battle on another front for consumer intention. And that is the battle for of, of lean forward versus lean back, right? I think uh, a lot of people talk uh, about the emergence of video games uh, and certainly esports, uh, which is really just watching video, watching other people play video games is kind of one of the surprise um you know, content types to emerge over the last couple of years. But really, I think the battle there is the the battle for uh, engagement with the content, right? Um, and so we, we see a lot of uh, experiments uh, with traditional content providers trying to bring interactivity to lean back content. We see, uh, you know, certainly uh, the video game providers themselves trying to reduce the barriers to entry for video gaming. I think video gaming can be a little intimidating for your average consumer. The moms and dads of the world are not going to jump straight into a game of Fortnite. Um, it's it's a little intimidating. So um, so so live event streaming and interactivity and low latency 
are starting to become this emerging trend for interactivity with traditional content. So you'll see things like trivia games, you'll see things like the emergence of, of gambling and betting as well as a way for traditional content providers to, to drive engagement. So a uh, lot of interesting things happening here and, and live events and interactivity and low latency are, are all playing kind of a big part in, in, that, uh, in that battle. Is, is the interactive experience now becoming um, a key ingredient of live sports or, or, um, or live event broadcast in general? Or do most people um, still go for the, um, for the passive experience of just watching it? I, I would say uh, the majority of consumption of live sports events will, will continue to be lean back. And I think uh, from an interactivity perspective, there are some, you know, Uh, interaction models, especially around things like Twitter or social sharing, uh, traditionally done kind of on a second screen where uh, we see it as a good complement to the lean back experience. Uh, I think consumers are certainly proving that case. But uh, I would say as new technologies emerge, like ultra low latency, where you can get, uh, you know, the broadcast signal uh, close to real time, uh, you know, I think you'll start to see even more kinds of interactivity emerge with sports. And who knows? Uh, you know, my guess is it'll continue to be just a small part of the viewing, but I can certainly see that growing over time. I don't personally subscribe to the idea of like second screening for the most part. Like I agree with Darren, like sports betting in the future with ultra low latency when you're able to do things in real time kind of makes sense. But I think most viewers, especially with sports, yeah, they might be on Twitter, but they're not using Twitter as a second screen experience. I believe, I believe they're really just, you know, doing it to fill the time in between a play or, or whatever, but they're really there to, to experience the game and sports is social in that, spe- that aspect where when you're with your family and you're watching the baseball game, you guys want to all be watching the baseball game together. You know, it's not, it's not being interrupted by some other experience kind of going on. And so what role is Verizon Media playing in delivering these experiences? Maybe you can, uh, you know, give a high level overview of the, of the products and services. We like to say that we handle everything from content to experience. So for us, practically, that means that uh, uh, we typically ingest a, a broadcast signal, um, uh, whether that's uh, taking the signal directly from on-premise at the sporting event. Uh, most of the time it's sent back to you know, a, a central broadcast center via IP or satellite, and then we pick it up from there. So it's a fully uh, kind of fully published broadcast stream. We're not doing necessarily broadcast overlays or doing any kind of stream switching. We're taking the standard broadcast signal uh, ingesting it uh, into the cloud where we then you know create different uh, renditions for online streaming, whether an HLS or Dash. Um, from there, we, uh, we own and operate our own content delivery network, um, you know, over 150 data centers around the world, 75 terabits uh, per second of total global capacity um, allows us to then uh, very quickly distribute those linear streams or live events uh, to an edge, cast, uh, edge cache close to a user, no matter where they are in the world, and then ultimately facilitate uh, the kind of last mile delivery of that content down to the device where, um, you know, we have some player libraries, which allow us to uh, do, uh, you know, things like session management, uh, server-side ad insertion, content replacement. So, you know, on a, on a per device basis, we are able to then, uh, you know, rewrite the manifest for each individual user 
um, to, uh, like Jason said, deliver personalized ads or deliver a, you know, a personalized content stream out to the viewer. Yeah, that's excellent. Now, it, you know, low latency, we've already referenced that. And uh, I don't think these days you can have any conversation about video and not and the word latency not come up, uh, specifically low latency. What are you guys, you know, both seeing in terms of um, uh, technology trends or strategies? And maybe, you know, if you can share with the listeners what you're doing, even building into your own solutions, your own products to reduce latency, there's a number of approaches. And uh, I think it would be uh, interesting, you know, to hear um, what you're doing and what your perspectives are around this, especially in the area of live, um, where, you know, you're talking about sports betting in particular, but, you know, even just broadcast, um, you know, Brad, we have some big events going right now, the women's world cup, for example, um, you know, the French open just finished. So, yeah, Darren, before you jump in the technology, let me handle that for a quick second from our customer's perspective, because it's a great question, Mark, is, you know, we've talked to our customers a lot about latency. It's super important, especially with the number of live events we do uh, a year, the number of broadcast channels we stream every day for our customers. And, uh, you know, what they really came down to um, was they told us the order of importance of metrics for them is... Um, monetization is number one. So, you know, monetization trumps latency anytime. They have to be able to monetize mm -hmm. their content. Number two is quality. And then three was latency. So, you know, as Darren gets into some of the things we've done in the video product, those are the things we take into account every day to make sure we're meeting our customers' goals as we're developing the products and services that we're, we're rolling out on a, on a daily basis. And when we're streaming uh, events that may or may not be some of the things you just mentioned. Awesome. I want to get to monetization and definitely quality. Uh, but Darren, yeah, let's let's jump into the latency discussion. Sure. So I, I think everybody's aware of, you know, uh, the differences between streaming for broadcast and streaming uh, over an unmanaged network, the public Internet. Right. So when HLS and Dash and other formats were originally developed, uh, when they you know kind of came up with the concept of manifests and uh, segment sizes of, you know, four to six seconds originally, uh, you know, building up buffers inside of the manifest and on the device. Uh, you know, all of these things were built with the intention of doing one thing, which was to con deliver a, con a continuous stream of content to an end device on an unmanaged network. So the way these things were originally built um, was certainly focused on that. And so, uh, within the context and framework of these existing, you know, HTTP-based uh, unmanaged network-delivered uh, formats, people are now, uh, you know, doing things to optimize that as much as possible to drive down uh, latency to the end consumer. So uh, there was a recent announcement by Apple about their low latency mode for HLS. Um, there have certainly been a lot of efforts uh, with uh, Dash and CMAF. And, and for the most part, uh, on the HTTP delivery front, uh, most of the efforts are focused on reducing the size of segments um, that have to be delivered uh, down to the end consumer. So uh, when, when HTTP streaming first started, I think we were, you know, again, four to six seconds was kind of the norm, maybe even higher than that. Um, we are now seeing 
you know, two second segments as kind of becoming the, the industry norm for the segment size. So uh, obviously, if you can build up a buffer of two second segments, the amount of time that it takes to download those files will be less than downloading six second segments. So you save a little bit of time there just on the downloading of, of segments to the, the buffer on the local device. Uh, I'm sorry, Darren, what is enabling this reduction in segment size? Is it because the networks have become better um, so you can rely on them, you know, not to lose, uh, not to lose packets because you, you could set, you know, small chunks even uh, before, but uh, people did not do that for some reason. Sure. So it, it certainly uh, is a reflection of advancements in CDNs. So CDNs are getting better and, and more performant. So you're able to make more requests for more files. Um, certainly encoders themselves are, being, are getting faster. So, you know, to deliver, you know, uh, you know, 10 distinct files instead of 20 just takes more processing overhead for encoding. So the encoders themselves have to, to improve their technology uh, in certain cases, like the low latency uh, HLS uh, standard that just came out, they're now moving to HTTP2 requests, which means you don't have to have uh, a separate and distinct request for every single segment. You can now kind of open up a request and, and multiplex your request to have you know kind of multiple segment requests happen within one HTTP connection. So across the board, there are there are technology. Uh, advancements that are making uh, that are being made, uh, you know, by device manufacturers, by CDNs, uh, by encoding manufacturers to enable you know these new capabilities. Can you give us some some ballpark on what numbers we are talking about? What is uh, uh, typically the current delay in a live sports broadcast from the capture to uh, the playback on the end user's device using the existing protocols, and what is expected when we move to the new protocols? Sure. So uh, kind of using standard uh, Dash or HLS, I think uh, the industry term is called typical latency. And from that, you see anywhere from 15 seconds behind live all the way to over a minute. Um, uh, as you start getting into uh, some of these more advanced uh, HTTP-based protocols, uh, I think we're we're seeing performance all the way up to two or three seconds behind live, uh, so it's certainly faster than broadcast, uh, but not real time. Uh, and then when you get into you know certain use cases like gambling or or sports, you actually have to turn to different protocols like WebRTC to get you to the uh, you know range of milliseconds rather than seconds. So Darren. When we're thinking about latency, I think it's really helpful, uh, and I'm going to actually um, steal your definition uh, of this, of how to look at the end-to-end latency, and that is in the context of um, ingest, uh, mid-mile, and, and last-mile. And I think what would be really useful is if you could share with us how that latency breaks down in terms of you know what percentage of the, whether it's 15 seconds or, or, or a minute, you know, or somewhere in between, you know, what percentage is uh, on the ingest side, what's in the mid mile and what's in the last mile. And then um, maybe you can share with us, you know, what techniques or even technologies can be applied at each of those stages to bring that overall latency down, you know, into the five second range or, you know, even the two or three second range. Sure. So I would say from, you know, looking at this, the 
time split between ingest versus mid mile, which is kind of traditional CDN uh, delivery, and then last mile, which is you know from the CDN through your ISP to the device. Um, it, it basically breaks up to about one third, one third, one third. So uh, you know there's certainly uh, challenges with ingest uh, getting content from the source location, whether that's uh, you know, the broadcast center in a very central location or, uh, you know, a sports arena out in the middle of nowhere. Um, there, there are certainly some challenges for getting that content, uh, to the cloud to, to be delivered. Right. And, and for that, uh, we're seeing everything from kind of dedicated, uh, fiber connections where possible, uh, to, you know, optimized ingest formats, ways to, you know, compress video as, as much as possible and then deliver it to the cloud. Um, Certainly, uh, on the encoding side, uh, I would say that that's about a third of the the total latency as well. Um, and for there, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, having a faster encoder um, can can reduce some of that latency. Um, there are other things uh, among the uh, components of a cloud-based encoding system. Uh, the communications there to uh, rewrite manifests to store things in databases. Uh, all of those connections between components can be optimized by using things like UDP connections uh, rather than the HTTP uh, within, within a system. So there's ways to optimize that. Um, and then certainly in the, from the last mile perspective, uh, this is where a lot of the, you know, the chunking of content, uh, chunk CMAF, or uh, being able to you know, do requests where you're uh, you know, just requesting a certain part of a video segment, you know, you're not, you know, requesting the entire segment and waiting for it to download. That, that's certainly how I would characterize kind of the, the last mile uh, improvements that are taking place. Interesting. And from Verizon Media's perspective, uh, can you comment, are, are you guys focused any more or less in any one of those areas? Or are you spending time optimizing across the you know, kind of across the stack, so to speak? Yeah, be- because our our customers typically ask us for the complete end-to-end solution, it's really incumbent upon us to, to improve it wherever we can, right? So we're looking at everything from, you know, how do, how do we optimize the content getting into the system? How do we tune our CDN? Uh, you know, we're looking at things like publishing straight to the edge cache, like skipping an origin publish and getting it straight to the edge. Uh, that's certainly an option for us to to reduce some latency there, uh, and then also you know working working with our customers to ensure that uh, you know their players and their apps are are tuned and you know using the latest formats uh, to do that uh, you know and even beyond our kind of standard HTTP based protocols, we are also looking very closely at at UDP UDP based based protocols like WebRTC, um, which is just an entire world. It's a it's an entire set of infrastructure. It's an entire kind of mid mile architecture uh, that's required to do that, uh, and it's certainly a very different uh, consumer experience that gets delivered. Um, but for certain use cases, you know, this uh, ultra low latency that is you know latency below one second, there are there are some very specific use cases that uh, that justify that investment. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask, what is the latency, sorry, what is the trade-off when you're running a low latency, ultra low latency protocol, uh, the WebRTC, um, on the consumer experience? Does it mean that uh, 
Um, there will be more, um, you know, buffering events. Is the video quality lower because the encoder is working in a very fast mode? What are the kind of the trade-offs when, when you reduce latency? Uh, where, where do you pay? Sure. So the number one uh, place where you pay is viewer quality. Um, so the notion of rebuffering with WebRTC doesn't exist. They just drop frames. Like it, the video doesn't stop. They just uh, kind of glitch out on screen. The audio drops out. It's very much more akin to a video conferencing call than a you know video streaming experience. So... There, there are certainly uh, some challenges there, especially when you have so little uh, buffer to play with, right? When you're literally, you know, half a second behind any any disruption in the flow of content from the origin all the way out to the device uh, can cause drop frames and, and bad experiences for viewers. And, um, you know, there are some additional overheads uh, that have to be in place from a service provider perspective. There is no, um, you know, adaptive bitrate format that's native to WebRTC. So you have to build that on top of that. There are DRM implications. There are certainly ad insertion implications that that come into um, you know into play when you're when you're changing protocols from a you know very well defined spec with you know 10 years of uh, uh, market uh, battle testing to to build out these additional services around it. I wanted to add something to what you know Darren was talking about too when you asked about um, from Verizon Media being in a position from managing the network to the ingest as well as you know we're in an extremely unique position, um, especially you know with WebRTC and other things as we look into it in the future is being part of the Verizon family is being on that you know that backbone that exists that network backbone, but also being able to experiment with the last mile the, the you know the five G connections and how do we optimize delivery so the end users can get the higher quality uh, to their 5G devices and still, you know, keep the latency in the range of where we hope to get it for our customers. So it's uh, it's things we're thinking about now that might not be a reality for a year or two, but it, it is a unique position being able to sit where we sit and work with the you know, the, the people that are developing those technologies for those 5G nodes that are going to go out all over the world. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Jason, because one of the things I want to touch on is the opportunity for edge compute. You know, I'm thinking of multi-access edge, you know, MEC. And um, since, you know, Verizon is obviously investing and it's very public, you know, very heavily in 5G, do you see that as some very interesting opportunities both to... um, uh, you know, reduce latency, um, but to really re-architect the fundamentally the way that video is being distributed over the network. Yeah, I mean, I, I can let Darren get into any specifics if you want to add, but I think you know, in general, the answer is obviously yes. Like, I don't know if the entire um, workflow would be able to be optimized for five G. I think, as far as the mech is concerned, I think that there's a lot of. Uh, talk and theoretical hype going into what the mech is, but what we're, what things we would look at, you know, is like session management on the edge, server-side ad insertion out there, but uh, image mm-hmm. optimization, things that can run much closer to the end user. Um, but one of the beauties of, of again, of, of, of having a network like, like we have is, again, the ability to experiment on that. Yes, Darren mentioned it, we have 75 terabits of egress capacity, but we also have, um, you know, uh, 80% um, 80% of our servers out there are 
are available for compute uh, for edge for edge types of functions on the edge. And what we're working on is we're working on turning that network, those servers that exist out there, coming up with a functions as a service um, kind of edge functions thing that would be able to seamlessly move from not only the um, the edge of our of our content delivery network, but seamlessly move right into a mech. So if we had customers that had um, had use cases where they would need to move things much closer to the user, they would be able to make those decisions to be able to say, I want to run in the mech. I could shift it back and run it on the edge of the uh, edge of our delivery network, or I can keep it running in the cloud as I currently am doing. And, and there's tons of things like, you know, if you look at what falls down on a lot of these live events, it's, it's not the capacity issues. It's not a delivery network, not being able to deliver the chunks to end users. It's, it's not the encoders being able to keep up with the, with the video delivery a lot of times it's it's the authentication services. So like that's yeah, one of those right. places where I think you can move that to the edge and distribute that globally as opposed to having all those calls come back to a single centralized. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And again, you know, I know that Verizon has done some things using cache, um, mm-hmm. caching, and, and obviously all CDN architectures are fundamentally built around caching, right? Yeah. So it seems to me like there's there's a scenario where where the cache is 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 sort of going to become this fungible compute resource, right? And, and yes, there'll be some storage of actual video files, but it's almost like it's going to become less. And I guess I'm, I'm I'm asking a question here, so you can tell me if I'm wrong or or if this if I'm if this is a vision of the future. You know, is is kind of the cache going to become? Um, not only about storing a video file, um, you know, at the edge of the network somewhere, but also about doing some sort of compute function. Um, is or or is the cache still a very different thing, or is the cache not going to be needed in this scenario? I personally think you're you're going to always need cache. You're always going to need the ability to because you never know when a user is going to jump in, right? So you're yeah. always going to have to have those chunks available to those end, to the end users. And we use cache, which I'll get to in a second, in kind of some unique ways, especially when it comes to video. Um, but yeah, those servers that are that that infrastructure exists globally. That you know that 75 terabits of traffic is equates to some 16 or 17 thousand servers in key locations. Uh, around the world. Uh, and all those servers have about 80% of their co- compute capacity unused. So that mm. capacity is going to turn into those functions as a service, going to turn into Amazing. that edge compute. Yeah. So Amazing. there's 80%. So I want to make sure I heard you right. So you're saying roughly, um, you know, 80% of the time it's sitting idle. That's what I it, heard you say. The okay. server's not sitting idle. The, the, the server's caching content, but the compute capacity of that is go, going unused. But but we use our cache like, um, you know, Darren Darren hinted at it before. We're, we're looking at things like put to cache where we skip origin altogether, go straight to the cache, especially when we know it's a live event that uh, a lot of users are in specific areas are watching and we want to get those higher quality chunks to those end users quicker. Uh, so they're actually getting 4K on live events and not just getting the chunks that are able to make it to the edge um but you know some of the other technologies that already exist on the on our edge are knowing when uh are are predetermining chunks being requested from the edge so if a end user hits play you know our edge knows it's a video file and knows that you know the end user might only be requesting chunks one through six because that's what the spec says but you know i'm smart enough to know this is a video file so i'm going to start requesting all the other chunks sure. after it so they're available to the end user before they you know before they use it and i that's some of the ways that 
you know, it may not help with the overall latency. Sure, it does via milliseconds, but it, what, what it really does help with is the quality because quality. It, yeah, yeah, it guarantees the higher end chunks that might take longer to transmit out to the cache to end user are actually already there waiting for them uh, because waiting. it's already been pre-requested. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. This is a great pivot into, um, it, you know, qual- just the quality discussion. You know, certainly, you know, we can talk about kind of the absolute, you know, image quality and that's obviously important. Um, but but I think, you know, let's focus more on sort of user experience. Yeah, we, we've touched on this throughout, but it's the trade-offs of, of with these ultra low latency uh, techniques and even technologies, you know, are there any that can still preserve quality and you can get low latency or is there always this tension, you know, um, between between reducing buffering and and yet not reducing image quality and I, I think there's always going to be a healthy tension between those two things it's just kind of the nature of the internet it's the nature of, of physics right so in certain in certain cases um, you know having uh, a great encoding partner somebody like a beamer for example who can deliver higher quality uh, content higher quality video at, at lower file sizes is you know, um, incredibly important in this low latency mm-hmm. scenario. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the 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 trivia games that are out there today, I mean, everyone loves that the video is synced from device to device. But if you're sitting, you know, at a table with three people all playing the same game, the quality is terrible. Uh, you know, it, it freezes. It, it's but but end users playing those games don't care. Right. They just want to be able to answer the questions. But when you're talking about live sporting events in the vein of the Women's World Cup or like you said, the French Open or the NBA finals, things like that, there's no way uh, customers, you know, uh, content owners that are are delivering those experiences to end users uh, can get away with that. They would they would be blasted on social media every second for every little stutter or step in the delivery feed. And I don't think from hearing from our customers that are, you know, play in those types of major events, that's not a chance they're willing to take. Um, and, uh, you know, they're trying to replace a very consistent um, experience that end users have had for the last 30 or 40 years in cable television and satellite TV with, you know, IP delivery of, of these events and offering more of these types of things every day to end users that they typically couldn't get. But it has to be at that quality. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting discussion. And of course, you know, sometimes this transcends uh, often, actually, this transcends even technical issues and its business model. Right. You know, in in the in the Women's uh, World Cup, which is, you know, going on even right now um, as we're recording, um, you know, we have observed varying quality uh, across various platforms of the 4K, you know, UHD signal. And um, being involved with many of these uh, companies and, and many of these services, we know that in some cases where you could look at service A and look at service B, and one might be better than the, than the other, uh, we know that, you know, yes, they're using different technologies, et cetera, but it's really business model. It's really, we're, you know, we're willing to pay, you know, one of the services may be willing to pay more because the value of their customer is higher or they have some other strategic reason. You know, that's what it comes down to. So, yeah, there's always that, um, you know, Darren, is, uh, as you said, that tension, <laughs> healthy tension there. 
this is an an amazing discussion and very very interesting. Um, we we do need to touch on monetization, and one uh, thing that we've not talked about at all is you know the role of dynamic ad insertion, you know, ad targeting, and and this sort of brings us you know a, a bit back around to even you know, what a faster network like 5G and, you know, mech and, you know, if this helps us there. So uh, talk to us about that. Um, it, what both what you're doing and also, you know, what you guys are tracking in terms of future direction, you know, for technologies and approaches, uh, et cetera, around dynamic ad insertion. So one of the unique values of of the platform, our streaming platform that exists now, that has existed since almost its infancy, is the ability to do server side ad insertion, and you know that gets uh, infinitely harder when you transition from obviously doing server side ad insertion in VOD assets to doing server side ad insertion in large scale live events. And one of the benefits that we've seen, and one of the things we've been able to do over time, is be able to uh, prepare for the scale of you know live events like things that are going on now. So, for instance, um, I can almost remember back, which is kind of funny. And sorry, I'll go off on this tangent for a second. But um, I think it was like in late 2014, we got a call from a major customer who basically said to us, "Hey, we love your platform. We love the way it handles server side ad insertion. We're seeing you know 50 percent." Um, retention through ads using your technology. Uh, it's a very broadcast feel. Our, our customers, you know, are really enjoying our end users are really enjoying it. Well, we have um, rights to about uh, 25 to 30,000 more live events that we don't have any way to monetize. But if we can monetize it the way we're doing our, our live broadcast streams, you know, that can add added value to us. And so what we started with about uh, 20,000 live events. And I think this year we're, we're upwards of 65,000 live events with a, a group of our customers all doing targeted server-side ad insertion. And, and so what we, what we've been able, what we've been able to do, and that's on top of the 400 plus channels a day we deliver with server-side ad insertion, but, but what we've been able to do over those years and why I brought this up is because we've been able to grow our scale, um, and be able to grow with how we manage that scale of these live events over time and come up with unique ways to handle basically the session management um, of each one of those sessions to each user to make sure that they're, you know, they're getting dynamic ads delivered to them and no opportunities becoming un- unmonetized. Um, and, and when you're talking about live events, it, it is so, it, it is even more important because what we found is if end users get to an ad break, and there's an issue with an ad, their first reaction when doing OTT is to restart the service, restart the video player, refresh their page, re- refresh their app. It's it's not just like you would on broadcast television, sit there and wait for the next ad to come through and it's kind of correct itself. So because of that, that means customers lose ad opportunities every time there's an issue with an ad. And so We've re-architected the entire way we've been doing ad, uh, server-side ad insertion to allow you know content servers to exist in parallel with ad servers um, or ad management servers, ad session servers on our side. So that way, you know, we're not putting strain on a specific thing, and we've separated these two these two these two things to be able to make sure that every user is going to get the most optimal experience at every time. Now, obviously, that was difficult because now we've had to take all those learnings from the last few years and what we've 
you know, and the timings and the, you know, the markers and everything, we've had to separate those into two systems and make them work, you know, um, together. But the, the results have been fascinating. And it's also been able given us the ability to capture a lot of ad data with this new service. So we can, we know how our content owners, ad partners are performing and we can report that information back to our, to our content owners. And they can use that to help better monetize their content, work with their partners to know why ads are not being filled, to know why they're seeing slate, know why they're seeing the same ad over and over again. Um, but technically it's a huge feat and, uh, I could read you a whole white uh, uh, technical blog we just posted about it, but there's it, it, it's the future and the scale. The beauty is, is we've been able to work to outpace the scale of the broadcast numbers moving to OTT. So we're ahead of the game in knowing what we can consume, you know, what end users can consume on the platform. But we learn more every with every event we have, right? Yeah. And I'm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can go off on a rabbit trail here, but I, I have a very strong belief that we are heading to a, to a dual revenue model, just like cable where there's going to be subscription and advertising uh, it, because the economics just don't hold up. I mean, even you look at, you look at Netflix, if it weren't for, you know, a stock that just continues to go up, you know, and, and all the debt financing that they can, that their business model isn't sustainable. You know, right. as awesome as they are, both as a company, as a content producer with a, now 110 million plus households, it doesn't even work, you know. So ads are coming across all platforms. It'll look different, you, you know, but um, and ad loads will be different. There'll be different approaches. But yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole nother discussion. One question I, I, I had, Jason, is now are you guys hosting the ad content? Um, because one of the things that I know is so, it, it, this is a pet peeve of mine, is you're watching this this beautiful OTT, high quality encode, very nice experience. And all of a sudden the ad comes on and it's 480p, usually stretched. I, I mean, it just look, it looks horrible. The audio's, you know, and you're just like, wow, really? <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. Synchronizing the format and the quality of the ads with what's being broadcast, I think it's a real uh, challenge, especially when you're talking about 4K. Yeah, and, and, and that's a great question. And the answer is yes. And that's something we've done f- since the beginning is we mm. we always um, we always make sure that the content and the uh, and the ads are encoded in in the same format and same ratio, so that way you don't get that experience, right? Um, yeah. And that that requires our customers doing some u- very unique things. So, for instance, when you're talking about live sporting events, one of our major customers, what they actually do is they actually they direct sell most of their advertising, which a lot of the major people do today because the programmatic video ad space just doesn't have the quality of ads that they expect in high quality live uh, broadcasts. But that's a whole nother conversation. But one of the things that they do that's super unique, instead of relying on their ad server to deliver us a um, you know a man, uh, sorry a mezzanine file. Th- that then we would have to go and encode into our formats to match the content. They know that, you know, we're mm-hmm. delivering their stuff. They'll actually encode their direct sold ads directly in our system, then use our URLs in the ad server. So when the ad server gives it back to us, we already have it and it's ready encoded. And especially mm-hmm. in live events, that makes a huge difference because that means we don't have to curl anything. No ad opportunity can go unfilled. the content of the ad creative is already ready to be stitched into the content. Now, not every customer does that. So that adds a lot of other complexity into other workflows, but that's some unique ways that people are, are, are managing that experience to make sure that end user experience you just complained about goes away for their platform. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, guys, I think we're coming to the end of our time here. And, you know, I just want to thank you again for coming on, uh, Jason, Darren. This was an awesome conversation. We will have you on again. And uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the Video Insiders. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Dor. Yeah, thank you. It's really an awesome uh, uh, discussion. And personally, I I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for listening to The Video Insiders. And as always, if you would like to come on the show, um, just send us an email to thevideoinsiders at Beamer. That's B-E-A-M-R.com. And we'll be happy to uh, chat with you, find out what you want to talk about and see if we can get you on until next time happy encoding happy encoding everybody that's right and make sure you join the linkedin group it's the video insiders okay have a great day thank you for listening to the video insiders podcast a production of beamer limited to begin using beamer's codex today go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no cost hevc and h264 transcoding every month 